Let's get us thinking about God's power. Uh, we're going to read together uh, from Matthew 8. We're looking at Matthew 8, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 23 to verse 27. And this will get us thinking tonight. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You are of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? What kind of God is this? Well, let's spend some time now considering just that. It is horrible, isn't it, to feel out of control. Sometimes we're in circumstances where that's exactly our experience. I don't know if I've told this story before, but I remember being uh, sent on a, one of those outdoor uh, pursuits, the holidays, when I was a kid, maybe about 12. Me and some mates, we all went off to Snowdonia, and one day we'd been out kayaking, and we got to a, a stretch of white water. And the instructor said, look, you, you guys aren't expert enough to, to navigate this in kayaks. So the, the thing is, you're going to pair up, and you're going you're to float down these rapids. Don't worry, there'll be uh, three rescue ropes that we can throw to pull you out if you need it. So, uh, what did we have on? We had wetsuits, we had, uh, we had these, we had our buoyant saves on, and we paired up. I remember I was with David Ralston, um, a good friend. We, we linked arms, we dived in. And um, right over the first waterfall we went, and already we were underwater. Uh, the water was over our heads, it was just a kind of a blurry, grey, green mush of, of, of foaming water. Felt like we were upside down, left, right, we didn't know where we were. Needless to say, uh, we miss all three of those rescue ropes. And if it wasn't for someone catching up with us and yanking us out, then, I don't know, I guess we'd have found our way to the Irish Sea. Uh, it's horrible to feel out of control. Maybe you've been in an accident. Uh, you, the car slid on the ice and you felt out of control. I remember I talked to someone who had a stroke you know, seven years ago now and uh, his wife was away and he had a stroke and he fell to the floor and he couldn't move. He couldn't speak. He, 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 he wasn't in control anymore. Horrible experience. A horrible experience for out of control when circumstances overwhelm us. Sometimes though it's not circumstances. Sometimes we're uh, under the control of other people. If as kids, maybe you remember that feeling of longing to, to grow up so you wouldn't be under the control of your parents anymore. You could choose when to go to bed. Uh, maybe you're thinking that right now if you're uh, still living with your parents. You think, I'd love to be able to choose for myself how much screen time I get. We complain, don't we, about the tyrannical boss at work. And some fear the control of private business over our lives. Uh, the tech companies. Others fear uh, the, the reach of the state and government, its ability to interfere with our private lives and our values. And all the time we see so many cases of abusive control. Maybe you've been the victim yourself of a crime or, or some sort of sustained abuse. Uh, maybe you know others who have. 
but where you've been under the control of someone else who has denied you the things uh, and the life which makes you happy and helps you feel safe. Uh, and we see, don't we, all around the world, authoritarian leaders and regimes who abuse their power for their own good. And so I think we long for control, don't we? We long for control because that's the way that we can satisfy our longings, our desires, our ambitions. It's the way we can secure our happiness and make sure that we feel safe. It's the way we can defend ourselves against threats, things that might make us unhappy or hurt us. You see it in the little things. Most of us, I think, most of us maybe, prefer to be the driver rather than the passenger in a car. We want to be able to control, to choose what we wear, what we eat, when we eat, when we sleep, how long for. Um, all these little things that we want to have control over. But also the big things too. Maybe... Uh, what career we'll pursue, or, or who to put, uh, pursue a relationship with. So much of our stories from hundreds of years ago uh, are about people who didn't want just to be matched up with someone in marriage. They wanted to be able to choose themselves who to love. And to feel out of control is one of those things in our lives that can cause us anxiety or fear. In fact, to have control taken away can feel like something incredibly important has been denied to us. It's part of think of why uh, the experience of lockdown is, is so difficult, is it feels like some control has been imposed on us and some of our control has been taken away. But there are times, there are times when we need others to be in control. Uh, just think about um, kind of society and like sometimes we need, don't we, uh, everyone to obey, more or less, the rules of the road. It's no good some people choosing that red means green at the traffic lights. That's the way to chaos and anarchy and injury, ultimately. And sometimes we'll willingly put ourselves under someone else's control if we think it'll be good for us. If you go out for a meal at uh, Pete's Pub or go for a, a coffee at Bake with Beth, you're basically allowing them to control the cooking process. If you, go, if you have surgery, you're putting yourself willingly under the control of the surgeon. And if you think about something like uh, when we used to go on holiday, remember that? Uh, you used to get in a plane maybe and fly somewhere. Well, being a pilot, flying an airline with hundreds of people on isn't a democratic enterprise. You need the pilot to be in control. And there are times when there are emergencies, when we need someone to rescue us, we need someone to help us. Uh, and in that moment, we need their control to guarantee our well-being. And it's incredibly important that in those moments, at those times, they don't fail. And tonight we're gonna to be considering how God never fails because he's always in control. Spoke earlier that, uh, of uh, what's called God's omnipotence. Uh, God's omnipotence. It means he is, uh, has all power, that his power is without limit or restriction. We saw it in the, in the story uh, with Jesus uh, calming the storm. We saw that in Jesus, who is God on earth, we see the power of the creator at work. Uh, in the same passage in Matthew, we see Jesus exercise power over illness and over evil. Uh, God's the creator. He's got all power over creation. 
And in, in um, Revelation 19, verse 6, we read these words, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord Almighty reigns. God is the God who, who reigns, who has power over his whole dominion, the cosmos. In Psalm 121, we read that God is uh, without weakness, without vulnerability. He, need, he never needs to sleep or rest because he is maximally powerful. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. If God is the creator, then he's the one who knows everything, like we saw last week. But he's also the one who sustains everything, who keeps everything going. It means he has power over and in everything. And in the Bible, we see this working out in something that is uh, sometimes called God's providence. We see him uh, at work in every event, ordaining all things all the time. Uh, in the story of Joseph, Joseph's story has many ups and downs. It goes through highs, it goes through disasters too. And uh, he is the victim of much uh, evil uh, on the behalf of others. But this is what he's able to say when his brothers come to him and ask for his forgiveness. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We see how God is at work in all things, even the things that look painful and difficult. Nothing is outside his control. Uh, his ordaining is behind all things. Uh, right down to the, the, the smallest details. We've heard in this series already how God knows, for example, uh, the numbers of hairs on each of our heads. It's what allows him to make that promise. Maybe the most, one of the most precious promises that Christians hold on to in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God can only make that promise and keep that promise if he never fails, if he is totally and always in control. As Psalm 115 says in verse 3, our God is in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. Nothing can hold him back. There are no external restrictions or limitations to, 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 to limit what he does. And that means that God never acts or wills in order to acquire something, to get something or to become something. His power is such that he already, he already has it. He already is all the things he wants. And he's constantly ordering things for the best. I don't know if you've got uh, an Amazon wish list. Our kids are always updating their Amazon wish lists, particularly before birthdays and Christmases. Maybe you wrote to Santa with uh, a wish list. Because uh, there are things that we want that we don't have yet. But half terms just finished. Many of you will have had to-do lists, jobs that you needed to get done, things that you hadn't got but needed to spend time, money or effort uh, in order to, to get. God's not like that. His power is so complete that there's no gap between what he wants and what he has. 
uh, we saw Martin uh, talk about last week that it's not just God, that God is bigger and stronger than us. His power is of a completely different order. When the lockdown first started back in March or April last year, uh, our family, we started watching the, event, the, uh, the Marvel films. And there's a great scene in the Avengers where Loki uh, is uh, confronting people. And he, he, he stands before them and says, look, don't you understand? I'm a god. Uh, and compared to the rest of human beings, he is. He's stronger. He's faster. He's got abilities that they can only dream of. But then Hulk appears, and Hulk gives him a right royal roughing up. He smashes him all over the place, and then drops him. I think he says, puny god. The Loki is a sort of god, he's sort of stronger. But our god is supremely strong. Uh, his strength is in a completely different order. It has no competition whatsoever. And obviously that does raise a, a question, a, a paradox, which Martin helped us understand last week. How can God be completely in control of everything and we still have free will? And if you want to delve a bit more into that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to what Martin helped us see last week. You can get in touch with me if you want uh, and, um, uh, and uh, uh, we can have a conversation. Uh, or, or again, tune in next week because one of the things that Ray will be helping us see a bit more, I think, is how God can be in control of everything and yet still uh, difficult things happen? How can he be in control and yet not responsible for those uh, evil or sad things? Uh, but God is in control and he never fails. And it's not just a question of might, it's also a question of right. You see, if God was just the most powerful alone, he could control everything, but he wouldn't necessarily have the authority to do so. But as we read through the Bible, we see that not only has God got the supreme power, he also has supreme authority. In Psalm 29 verse 10, we read this. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. See, our kings and queens, Queen Elizabeth and all those who have gone before us, they've been uh, kings and queens by accident of their birth, of who their parents were and their ancestors. God's kingship, his, his monarchy, isn't like that. It flows not from an accident of birth, but from his very being, from his identity of who he is as the creator of all things and as a supremely good uh, God. None of his commands are, are harmful. And before him, the Bible describes humanity like uh, clay before a potter. In Job uh, chapter 10, we read this, remember that you moulded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? And that's our position before God. He is the creator, we are the creatures. And he has absolute authority over us. He is the only one who can truly and correctly tell us who we are and what we're about, and what our world is about and what it means. My uh, son Zach loves to draw. He's been doing a lot of it over lockdown. Uh, these are some of his uh, creations. I'll, I'll hold them up to see if you can see them. That's one. Uh, that's uh, another. And another. This is just show and tell really for me as a dad. Um, to be fair, there's a lot of creatures, there's a lot of dragons in his artwork. But as the artist, only Zach can really tell me the story behind them, uh, whether they are uh, evil or, or good creatures, whether they, what their names are. 
See, I've got no right as the as the viewer, the receiver of those pictures, to say, oh, I think this one's called Steve. Well, that's up to Zach. If he tells me his name is Jeffrey, well, that's up to Zach. I say, well, this one looks really kind. So actually, he's got an evil heart. Well, that's up to Zach. He's the artist. He's got the authority to interpret his own work. And that's the same with God. Uh, he has the authority over his own work. And, and when we say God can do anything, we do just need to be a little bit careful. Uh, God can do anything, but as we've seen, God can't fail, for example. There's that great song. Is it a great song? Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, the Meatloaf song from some years ago, uh, where he sings, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Now, I would do anything for love. Is it anything, Meatloaf? Yeah, anything. But not that. And you say, well, what is it? I'd say to you, listen to the song. What did you say? I'd do anything for love, but I'll never lie to you, and that's a fact. No, I won't do that. And there's some truth there with God, too. There are some things that God not just won't do, but can't do. He, he always acts, you see, consistently with his character. As a truly just God, for example, he will always act justly, never unjustly. And he can never fail. And if we want to see proof of that, we only have to look at the life of Jesus to see that not only can God never fail, but we see that God didn't fail uh, when he was right there in the limelight, in the spotlight. And in Jesus' life, and his, particularly in his death and his resurrection, we see God's providence, his ordaining of all things, completely, perfectly coexisting with human actions, free human actions. Remember, Jesus is God on earth. Uh, all the way through the Gospels, he, he identifies himself as God himself. We've been seeing in our morning series uh, the story of God rescuing his people from Egypt. And when he reveals himself to Moses in chapter 3, he says, when Moses says, who shall I uh, say has sent me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. Words found on Jesus' lips later in John's Gospel where he says, I tell you truly, I am. And yet this God, Jesus, on earth, humanly speaking, didn't look impressive. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, there are these words in verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And yet he had full authority. When Jesus is uh, turning over all the um, tables, uh, the money, chain, uh, the money uh, lenders uh, and the, the market holders in the temple courts, and they ask him, on what authority do you do this? How does he reply? Uh, he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples record what he has said. Then they believe the scripture and the words that had been spoken. You see, it's Jesus' resurrection that proves both his authority and his power. It proves God's authority and his power. And how does he use his authority and his power? That may be the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, when we see Jesus, we see God can never fail. And it reassures us of God's omnipotence. It's a powerful statement of God's goodness. And it is a model 
of how we can and should use the limited power that we have. God can never fail. So what are some of the implications for us? I think the first thing we need to see is that if God can never fail, then we can trust him. Or we can trust him completely. Now, oftentimes I think we feel vulnerable. We've talked a little bit about that already. And what, one of the most helpful things we can do, I think, as God's children, as his creatures, is to realise just how little control we have in so many areas. We can't control, can we, what uh, culture we're born into, uh, where we were born, to, to which parents, uh, into what um, uh, society or situation. We can't control our natural abilities. We can't control all the people we'll meet or what they do to us. We can't control all the opportunities that come our way and we can't control uh, our lifespan on earth or how we will exit when we do. It's true of, uh, the, the, of all humanity from the richest to the poorest. Just think of one of the most charismatic, powerful people in the world at the time. JFK was assassinated. Uh, Steve Jobs, one of the richest, most creative, inventive people, uh, couldn't cure his illness. We have so little control. But in that reality, that's where we can remember God's providence and his promises. It gives us confidence. Uh, it helps bring us consolation in difficulty. Humility before an all-powerful God. Uh, resignation, that acceptance that there are some things that we cannot change. And with that, contentment too. It helps us have trust and courage when God calls us to follow him into difficult paths. Ultimately, God is the covenant-keeping God. We're already seeing that in our morning series in Exodus. He's, God has been making promises to people right the way from the beginning of Genesis through uh, all the way through the Bible. And what we do we see? Well, sometimes it looks like those promises are pretty flaky, like they, they are... They are they are bending to the point of breaking, but God always fulfills his promises. He always has done. He has us most supremely in Jesus, which means our covenant-keeping God will keep his covenant promises to you if you're trusting in him. And I understand knowing these things, it won't always help us feel less anxious or less worried. Feelings are, are slippery things, aren't they? But what it does help us with is whilst we might feel anxious and worried about things that are outside of our control, we can know at the same time that God never fails and that he is in control and that in our fear we can turn to him and lean on him. It's, I wonder if one of the reasons why we sometimes feel anxious and nervous and when we feel out of control is because we've experienced those times when people have let us down, when we've been promised things that haven't been delivered. <laughs> we promised to take uh, our kids to Woburn Safari Park for uh, Zach's birthday, but then lockdown happened. We couldn't fulfil our promise to you. Maybe you've experienced that where you've received a promise that wasn't fulfilled or you've made one you couldn't fulfil. And it makes us think, well, what about God? Well, what we see here is that God never fails. He is completely in control. 
And it, it is just that wonderful reassurance, isn't it, that when the world looks out of control, that ultimately God is at work and ultimately justice will be done. You see that from Psalm 73. All the wrongs that we see will one day be put right. I talked earlier of the Avengers. In some ways, uh, those films are, are, are wish fulfillment, aren't they, for us? We see all the the evil and the adversity and the injustice. We want someone to come and fix it for us. That's what kind of superhero films are about in some ways. There's a great line uh, that Tony Stark says to Loki. He says, we might not be able to protect the world, but you'll be sure we'll avenge it. Uh, And in God, we have someone who won't, it's not just that he will avenge the world, he'll ensure justice, true justice for all, for all time. Now, whilst that might be a comforting thought, it also, uh, I think, is a challenging thought too. Because if God is in control, he never fails, then yes, we can trust him, but we also need to obey him. We also need to obey him. Uh, Particularly so if you're uh, watching tonight and you call yourself a Christian. Uh, He made you, but not only has he made you, he's brought you back with the blood of his own son. There's that lovely story that preachers like to tell of the boy who made his own yacht. Uh, he spent hours on this thing, carving it, carving it. Uh, hours stretched to days, stretched to weeks. Uh, as he shaped the hull, uh, as he put up the mast, as he painted it beautifully. A time came to try it and put it on the lake. Uh, and uh, it's a, a vast lake. But he, he didn't want to lose the yacht, so he put a, a string round it uh, and tied it on. But a fierce wind blew out of nowhere and it snapped the string and the yacht sped off into the distance, out of sight. He lost it. Sometime later, he was uh, walking down the street and he saw in the window of a second-hand shop uh, something that caught his eye. It looked familiar. He looked close, more closely. It was, it was a boat. It was a yacht. It's pretty beaten up. It obviously gone through some things. Its uh, hull was dented. The, the paint was chipped and cracked. It lost its sail, but it was his. He made it, he, he, he'd know it anywhere. It was on sale for, for 10 pounds and the boy went back and he saved up his pocket money so he could buy his yacht back. And as he walked out from the shop, he said about his yacht, this is now twice mine. I made it and I've bought it back. And if we're Christians, then we are twice gods. He made us and he's bought us back and we are his. And what do we do with the power that we do have? First, we need to realise that we are limited, unlike God, who is unlimited. And then we need to realise that the power that we possess, we need to use it in his service. Power comes in so many different forms. There's this physical power, strength. There's the power that comes through beauty or intellect uh, or just natural charisma. And our temptation, our sin, is firstly to think that that power is unlimited, that it can bring us whatever we need. But it's secondly, it's to use it in a way to gain control over others. God calls us, as Christians, to relinquish that control. Uh, to come to God like he's the surgeon, like the pilot, and to entrust ourselves to him and his control. And so the things that he gives us are to be used for him in ways defined by him. Our bodies, uh, we're to be stewards of them. We can't choose how or what they should be or what they are. Uh, our possessions, we, 
We need to fight that temptation to spend our lives spending, uh, acquiring, managing, uh, preserving stuff. In our relationships, we need to let God tell us how to love those who are in our lives, choosing kindness over control. And in our circumstances, we need to realise that we can't control everything. I wonder if you're a planner, a controller, if you're obsessed with the last detail of everything. Are you the sole wielder of the TV remote in your house? Are you the dishwasher stacker in chief? Not only do you make sure that you try and stack the dishwasher, but if someone else does it, you'll repack it later and do it right. Don't ask me how I know about that one. Are there rules for everything about how it should be ordered? Well, let it go. Hold it lightly. Uh, Realise that we are not ultimately in control. God is. And that would be a good prayer, is to confess our inclination to try and control everything, uh, to try and be the boss in every last detail, and ask God's help as we seek to obey him. Because that is a prayer that God loves to answer. What we see as we read the Bible is that as we seek to obey him, we do so using or accessing or empowered by God's omnipotent power. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 uh, goes like this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power. And what's the power for? It's God's power to overcome sin, uh, to be shaped by him, to grasp his love, to be able to serve others, and so that God may dwell in our hearts. And if you think about it, of all the areas that we do have some control over, the way we think and what we do uh, ourselves is one of those areas. And that's where God says, look, Pray to God for his help in that area. Uh, God can never fail. He's in control, so we obey him. And as we close, it's maybe the right time to realise one of those paradoxes that Martin talked about last week. The paradox that when we obey God, that's when we are truly free. What little control and power we do have is amplified Not when we try to be independent from God, but when we submit to God. And the more we realise our dependence on him, the more alive we'll be, the more self-realised we'll be. Uh, And there's a word of warning here if you're watching this then and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. If God is eternal, ultimate, never failing, powerful over all things, then any attempt to be independent from him is ultimately an attempt to be independent from what he is. Life, goodness, justice. It's ultimately striving for chaos and non-existence. You might have seen those cartoons where someone is um, on a branch and they're merrily soaring away. But the joke of it is that they're sitting on the branch, they're soaring. And if they manage to go all the way through the branch, well, they'll plummet to their doom. And the warning or the implication of God being in control of never failing is that our attempts at independence are complete folly. 
And it's like saying, God, I, I, I don't want you in my life. I want to choose what to do. I want to define what's good. And every time we're soaring away at that connection. These are the words of uh, Job. Uh, sorry, of Isaiah 40, verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. That's what we read earlier. Job writes, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Before the God who can never fail and is in control, that is the proper response. To come to him in repentance, to realise that we are limited, he is unlimited. To come to him in trust, seeking his forgiveness and longing to obey him. And if you do feel like you're being tossed around, like I felt like when I was in that river, upside down, you don't know which way is up, then come back to God and see in him someone who never fails and is completely in control. You can trust him in whatever it is that you're going through.